0: Let's pray together. Mm. Our uh, Lord, our 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 two testimonies stir up our hearts, and have stirred up your spirit in this room. Um, your spirit is actually here now for healing, and if we will jump in, it's it's sort of like the water's being stirred. And if we'll jump in, uh, you will give us something today to our hearts that will make a difference. And so, Lord, we jump in with you. I jump in with you. I want all you have for me. Uh, lead us by your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, my, my intent today, I, I just to kind of show you how the Lord works a little bit, My intent today was I was going to go to our fourth word that the Lord has for us for 2015. For what he has given me, he says, these are the signs of my spirit working and risen king in 2015. So I was ready to go on to the fourth word and he woke me up about 530 this morning and he said, you didn't finish the third word i i I don't know about you, but if the Lord tells me something he's the Lord, he's the King, I don't say no, I'm moving on. I just go and say okay what did what did I leave out and there was a whole section that I didn't share with you because we kind of ran out of time, and uh, the Lord said, you've got to go back to that section and you have to share that with them so um hopefully this will be as meaningful you- for you as it ended up being for me. Would you read this, just a short passage from 1 Corinthians 10. Remember last two weeks we were in 1 Corinthians 9. If you've been with us, the word of the Lord where he says, a clear sign of a supernaturally changed heart. Not not just that you have more willpower, because anybody can have more willpower. And anybody can decide I'm going to quit doing this and I'm going to start doing that. Anybody can do that. That's not what this means. Uh, This means that, that literally you begin to have an ordered heart so that you are reaching the fullness of your potential and you're experiencing a deep satisfaction and a deep sense of fulfillment. And so the verses that most clearly explain what Paul Paul means when he says a sign of the Spirit's work in your life that is a fruit produced by your union with the Holy Spirit is self-control, or in the Greek, it's actually command of self. Where you are doing what you want to do and you are not doing what you do not want to do. In other words, you're not constantly living in regret or hiding or denying or shut down. These things that both Pauline and and Andres were just testifying to. Um, Any one of you can live in numbness and kind of fake it till you make it, but that's not life. You can get to where you expect and hope for nothing, but that's not life. It's not a life worth living. A life worth living is a life of anticipation. So if you'll read this out loud with me, we'll talk about this some more. How do we get there? Let's read God's Word. I like it when you read with me. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, before we dive into this, would you just for a second, you participating with me, would you recognize the connection of temptation to self-control? Where is it that you lose control of yourself? In temptation. And just to talk about this on a spiritual basis, not just the psychological basis, but the spiritual basis. Because if you believe in God, you believe in a supernatural realm. And if you believe the Bible, you believe there is not only a supernatural realm of the good, but there's a supernatural realm of the bad. And the the bad, the Bible reveals as the realm of Satan. And in that realm, a third of the angels follow him and are in some way bound to him and carry out his will. Their only purpose in your life is to steal from you to destroy you, whether that's by disqualifying you or, or distracting you or, whatever, or, or you know, whatever it takes. And then the ultimate purpose is to kill you. And Jesus said, I, I came. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. So you, you have this o- option. There is no neutral ground in the spiritual realm. There's no Switzerland. There's only am I following one master or am I following another? And what I present my body to and what I bind my behavior to and what I I connect my emotions to, that begins to tell me who has either I have willingly become a master of or I have unwittingly become a master of or a master to. See, here's, here's the thing. Your enemy is, is smart. He's done this a long time. And what, he's, what he is, he's, he's much more of a psychologist. He's like a ma- he's the doctor of psychology. He has compiled files on you. And those files go all the way back to your first ancestor. And he has watched the patterns that have developed. He's the one who enjoys us fighting, whether it's DNA or nurture. He gets on both sides just to stir it up. And, and, and you know, he, he's the one that, that knows exactly where your tendencies are. And in, and in a very real way, because he doesn't have unlimited resources, in a very real way he targets the temptation right to your hooks i mean there are many things you're not tempted with but have you ever noticed when you're at your weakest is when the greatest temptation comes and usually you could you know you could do the acronym that it's when you get tired it's when you're hungry you know when there's some need there's some some deficit there it's when you're bored you know, it's, it's, it's uh, those moments of anger, frustration. All of those things, they're all perfectly targeted to your weakness. To your weakest point comes the strongest temptation. Now, beyond anything, does this make sense to you? I, I like to kind of, are you thinking with me on this? All right? So the enemy is, is very strong, and there are, there are some pastors, and I understand why they do this. They say if I just ignore him, he'll ignore me. But see if I even when I have said I will ignore him, I am I am manifesting that he's not ignoring me. Because the Bible says be aware of his schemes. I would not have you unaware of the schemes of the devil, Paul says. So when you have denied when you have shut down and you said this is not a spiritual issue, already he has you in a, in a form of bondage. If you cannot look at everything in your life, if there's a story you can't speak, then that's the only story that matters. This is kind of a fascinating thing because sometimes people will come in for marriage counseling or they come in for, for even personal counseling and stuff and they'll say, uh, we don't go there talking about a story, a family story, a, a trauma situation. I'm like, that's the only place to go then. Who cares about the rest? When I went to Africa the first time, and, and I, I, some of you grew up in church and went, heard missionaries when you were a kid and stuff. All the missionaries I remember hearing were from Africa for some reason. They talked about snakes. I don't know what that was about. You know, and so I was scared to death as a kid God was going to call me to Africa. And I was gonna have to, you know, have to deal with the snakes there and all this stuff. And so, you know, it was so cool as an adult going to Africa, doing this amazing ministry there, and just get, you know, saying, you know, the enemy fooled me for all these years. It's some about when I just even touched my foot down in Africa, I just felt, I, I felt a freedom and a release. It's just so awesome. And and I was told before I got there. I was told, you can talk about anything with the pastors, but do not talk about sexual immorality because it's just accepted in the church. That's just like saying, sick them to a dog. I mean, come on. You tell me you can't talk about it, then either I get on the plane and go back or that's the only thing we're going to talk about. Because why? Because that's the weak point. You can't say, I have self-control in five areas. But I don't have it here. The one you don't have it in is the only one that matters. Because that's the one where the enemy's gonna camp out. I mean, if I could give you that picture, I've said it, probably some of you remember, but I had a friend in Costa Rica. This is way back, way back. And he brought the first, he's the first missionary with an Apple computer. Those things cost five thousand dollars back then, or something. I mean, they were an incredible amount. They cost more than the house he lived in. And he, so he, every day he would go to the hardware store in Costa Rica to find a bigger chain to lock the gate, so that he could protect his his uh, you know his investment in this in this little Mac. And it was the old it was the old Macintosh, the old Macintosh. Those are some of you have never even seen one of those. Go look in the museum, you know. It was an old Macintosh, cost thousands and thousands of dollars. And he would get the biggest chain and then he'd look at it and go, it's not big enough. And he'd go back to the hardware store the next day and get another one. And every time he got one, the thieves would just cut it. They would just cut it, but they didn't know what the Mac was, so they didn't steal it. So he come home and the chain's just wide open they've taken everything else so they leave that box because they don't know what it was. But he lived in, the, he lived in this fear. Well, so he had this huge chain. But can you imagine that you have the biggest chain in the world but one link is paper? What difference would it make how big the chain is if the one link is paper? Because all you have to do is to attack the paper link. This is what this is why command of self and the willingness to look at even the places where I have failed, where I have I have shame. This is why, and, and and this may be tough for some of you, but this is why we are we're not a fake it till you make it church. If you have a paper link in your chain, we love you. I'm not gonna stop loving you. And even if you choose to play like you don't have, the, the funny thing is that the more you think you've hidden it, the more all of us know it. We don't we don't tell you because you don't want to hear it. You know, you don't you uh you don't rebuke fools. You rebuke wise men. And if you're carrying a paper Link to your chain, you're a fool. Now I love fools. But I don't, I don't rebuke fools. Because there's no point to it until you're ready. But when you're ready and you begin to say, I could really have security. I could have safety. I could have significance. I, I, I could be loved. And you begin to say, I really want to experience the fullness of that then we're going to show you the paper link. Not just us, but the Holy Spirit. And so part of, part of this whole thing is to recognize, recognize this. The temptation is never going to stop. Satan doesn't take vacations. He has assignments against you that have been assignments against your family. He knows he doesn't shy away from that painful place. Pain is attractive to the enemy. And what he wants to do is build a stronghold around the pain. So that then no one can touch your pain and the enemy interprets your pain. And so what we want to do is we want to look at this scripture together and we want to go after it and say, I I want to know what it is to have a mighty spiritual backbone that can stand up to whatever resistance I face to my progress towards maturity and freedom. Now, one of the ways to do that is, a, is this idea from that First Corinthians 9 passage. Remember, it's, the Greek is kratia, which means basically having command of yourself. But what it's, really, what it's really talking about here is it's talking about your heart. Now, the Bible, the Bible believes and reveals that you are a complex person. I love it. I have numerous friends who, who I absolutely love, uh, and one of them comes to church here, and one of them I was with this week, and they love to say, I'm just a simple man. And my wife laughs hysterically when they say that. What what they mean, what most men mean by that, is just feed me and give me sex. I mean, that's that's what they mean by that. Okay, just make sure I'm not hungry, and the other one, you know. Uh, (laughs) and, and, And so most men love to think that they're simple. No one is simple. We are the most we are complicated. My dog is simple. Let him out, give him food, pat his head. Let him sit on my lap from time to time. He's very happy. Okay? You are not simple. And if you think you're simple, just ask the people around you how complicated you are. How much work you are how much just to keep you happy and not make you mad and not step on eggshells around you. Usually, it's amazing how unaware we are of how much work we all are. Now, you're worth it. Please don't just hear me being mean here. You're worth it. Because in some ways, there, for many of us, I don't know how many in this room, but for many of us, feeling like, our contribution to you is meaningful to you. Actually, brings tremendous satisfaction to us. You know, have you ever had that? That I mean, just to kind of illustrate this point, you ever had that discussion with somebody, either a loved one, a family member, or a spouse, or whatever, where you go, "Where do you want to eat tonight?" And it ends up in a huge fight. You know, because. Because it goes back and forth. Well, I don't know. Where do you want to eat? Why didn't you already choose? I don't know. Because if I choose it, you always say no to those places because you don't want to go there. <laughs> That's a, it's, just a, it's a glimpse into how complicated we are. That there's all these restaurants out there. There's all these different places. And not, neither one of us can choose the same one. And neither of us have the mood for that one. And at the end, where we're both trying to please one another, we ended up pleasing neither. Are you tracking with me in this? It's complicated when, when sometimes the biggest desire of our heart is just to make you happy. Or your biggest desire is just to make the other person happy. And in the midst of that, often our feelings will get hurt, we'll get offended we'll feel neglected or we'll feel taken for granted or we will feel like no one gets us. And we will actually, when we're trying to connect, we'll actually isolate. Well, isn't it possible that the enemy is involved in that? I can remember many times having a discussion with Lisa where we're trying to go forward in our relationship, we're trying to express to each other you know, some things that are on our heart and whatever, and it turned into World War III with nuclear stuff. And in the midst of it, as the anger comes, it's almost, if you could see the spiritual world, you would see the enemy of your soul giving you the ammunition or or a list of all the offenses that this loved one has done to you, and then you take the list and start reading it to them. Because you're not that smart. You don't remember that many things. You didn't even remember to get the bread, you know, or or the milk. Or you didn't remember to get gas in the car. You didn't remember to pay the mortgage. But suddenly you can remember that in 1983 you had a look on your face that made me mad. (laughs) Think about it. All of a sudden, where where do you think that jab came from? Came right from hell, smells like smoke. And you spoke the accuser's word to your loved one. And the purpose was not to move the relationship forward. The purpose was to hurt them. And you might say, well, they hurt me. Doesn't that sound childish? It's going to rebound off you and off me and stick on you kind of stuff, you know, and If I'm that, so are you. just sounds like we're back on the playground trying to somehow establish that we have power. In In so many ways, the will of God is to get you to the ultimate place of satisfaction, place of fulfillment. But in order to get there, he has to take you out of immaturity and get you to maturity. So in order for that to happen you and I have to participate. We have to stop resisting. And we have to begin to say, what matters here is my heart, not my behavior. My behavior tells me about my heart. As a matter of fact, I believe something that you could hold on to is this. You can hide your heart, but you cannot hide from your heart. Because what's coming out of you is manifesting... Your heart. And you cannot deny it. You can't say, well, you know, just because all of a sudden I, I, I let out all this string of expletives or I said all this stuff, all those don't mean anything. Of course they mean something. They mean either you have a divided heart or you have, you have a hurt heart. But they are definitely telling you something very honest. Because the Bible says this about your heart. The God who created your heart says this is what your heart is. He said your heart is what you have decided matters to you. It's those things, not that others have convinced you to commit to. It's the commitments that you hold and the trust that you have. The heart is the apparatus for connection. The heart is the place of either trust or mistrust. And when stuff comes out, it is revealing to you your default settings. So when I childishly deal with my wife, I don't suddenly go, let me push this back in. I say, let's examine this. Why, after all the healing of the Lord, after all the stuff I've studied, all the things where I've taken such steps, why are there still some default settings that show up under pressure? That show that I'm still still not healed. That show that I still don't trust. And instead of running away from the temptation, instead of running away from what manifests in the temptation, I make this commitment because I, I want to know why it's coming up. And I want to know the damaged place that is the source of that manifestation of childishness and immaturity and even sin. And I've been, I've been pounding on you for two weeks, I know, but because I, I love you. And I love your heart but I also know you have default settings that need to be reprogrammed because they're not getting you anywhere. They limit you. And I'm asking you as you go through this scripture with me, I'm asking you that you begin to say, I want my commitments to lead to freedom. Because if you have command of yourself, then you're free, you're free. If something else has command of you, you're not free. And it was for freedom that Christ set you free. When you are living in a divided heart, it's a disaster because you're not free. Because on the one hand, you have a connection to that which will set you free. But on the other hand, you're believing the lie that that which will put you in bondage will give you satisfaction. And that divided heart, and and James calls it a double-mindedness. Because your heart isn't just emotion from the Scriptures. God didn't make you just emotional, nor did He make you just intellectual. It is when those come together that you're truly passionate. I, I don't think I will ever be as naturally disciplined as many of you in this room. There are many of you I admire. Your discipline. I admire how you can plod and prod and, 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 and you, can, you can every day get a little step further and do your running and do all that. I'm a binger. I love something, I'll binge on it. You give me a series of books, I read the entire series. A book I like, I stay up till I finish it. I mean, when I have a TV show I like, I like to wait till the end of the season and watch them in like a day or two. I, I guess I'm alone in that. No one else here seems to be responding to me here, okay? So I'm not, I am not going to get where I want to go. I'm not going to attain what I want to attain just simply by saying I wish I was somebody else. Come on, this is pretty good pearl right there. You're not going to get where you want to go. You're not going to experience satisfaction and fulfillment by constantly saying, I wish I wasn't me. And what the Spirit of the Lord wants to do and what this aspect of self-control does is it lets you be the very best version of you without the distractions. And so, this is making sense to you this morning. Well, then we have to look at there we go. We have to look at what the Scripture says. And I like this part. i want to spend a moment or two here. It says, it says there that everything that you are tempted with is common to every one of us. Now, the specifics of the temptation will be tailor-made to you, but they tend to fall, Paul says, in these four categories. And these categories, if you get them in your head, they'll start making sense to you. The first is, he says, idolatry, and then he says sexual immorality, and then he says putting Christ to the test, and then the last one is grumbling, okay? I mean, in a way, you can almost boil all the temptations that you face down to these four because this is where the people of God have always failed, and, and I, I like it when he gives me categories that I can begin to frame what I'm up against. So every single one of us is up against these four categories. But what do these mean? Okay? Because probably, hopefully, you don't have any idols, any wooden, golden, or any kind of idols in your house. If you do, you're stupid. Get rid of them. Okay? But what he's saying is all of us are prone to idolatry. And what this means is very simply this. Because we're bingers, because we have a drive for happiness, because when something makes us happy, we begin to believe that that thing or that person is the source of our happiness. I mean, it can be a good thing or a bad thing. I was with Anna, my daughter this week. I miss that girl. When I'm with her, I you know, I get to be dad again. It's awesome. It's wonderful. You know, she's pretty like her mom and she's she's funny and she's growing in so many ways and you can't get that on the phone. So it would it would not be hard for me and I'm 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 just being really honest to you right now. It would not be hard for me to say, New York is too tough, I'm going to go be by my daughter. Because I miss her that much. And this assignment here is not easy. But Anna's not the source of my life. There's joy because she's my daughter. I love her. We're praying she's going to have babies because I think I'm going to be a really good grandfather. (laughs) I want I want to spoil someone. you know. But she's not the source of my life. So if suddenly I go, you know what? I'm not happy in New York. I'm happy when I'm with my daughter. Sounds like a good thing. It's not. She can't be an idol. She's wonderful as a daughter. She's terrible as an idol. Am I making sense to you? And you can do that about anything, your job. And then God, see, God comes along for the ride because he's supposed to give you your idol. He's supposed to sustain and resource your idol. Guess what? He won't do that. You you will have no other gods before me. So one of the biggest issues of your self-control is that when you have disordered love, then you will not have self-control. Because the only first love is God. Now, can I? Are you? You gotta. You gotta at least move your bodies every now and then, so I know you're breathing. (laughs) All right. This is important stuff. Now, listen. listen how good God is. All right. One of those close friends of mine, probably one of the best friends in the world. I travel with him all over the place. Is the pastor where my daughter works as children's pastor. His name is Fred Hartley, and Fred is a powerful leader, but over the last two years, something amazing happened to him, something that scared him and and something that tested him in very many ways. His only daughter had a a cancer growth in her chest that broke through her ribs and broke her rib. It grew so fast and so powerfully that 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 it, it just seemed like there was a, a, It was going to kill her. And so, of course, Fred rallied. We're prayer people. We're healing people. We believe in the supernatural. He rallied. And for over a year or more, we prayed and we sought the Lord. And his daughter is cancer-free. Now, they used medicine and they used doctors, but Jesus was her healer. So we were doing a conference together this week. And Andrea was there. She lives in Texas. She's a pastor's wife. And Andrea was there. And the Lord said, this is a picture of heaven. You ever lost something or thought you lost something? And it becomes more precious once you lose it or you think that you've lost it. And then you find it. It's never the same again, right? That thing... You will never forget that it was lost. You will never forget that you almost lost it or you thought you lost it, and now you have it, and what happens? You hold on to it with all your heart. It is a treasure. And as he sat in the crowd, he never sat up front. He always sits up front. He didn't sit in the front. He sat beside his daughter the whole conference, all week. And you could just see he didn't want to move because what he thought he had lost was found. This is heaven. Everything you give up in this life for the sake of your first love, everything you sacrifice, everything you surrender, The enemy will come to you and he will say, God is not good. He cannot be your source. You need to make things and people your source. And he'll say, if you do that, you'll be happy and he'll lie about it. And so you'll say, God, you're not helping me. And you'll push him out of the way and you'll grab your house or you'll grab your car. or You'll grab your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever. You'll grab it and you'll say, I'm going to hold on with all my my might to this because this is where I get joy. This is where, and God, you're not going to take it from me. And when you do that, that thing becomes a dumb idol. And instead of joy, now it's bondage. Instead of wholeness, it bankrupts you. And it could be something good. But if you let it go, if you lose it for Jesus' sake, you'll find it forever. Because heaven is a place of finding lost things takes faith to do that in some degree of maturity. Well, not only is it the issue of source, but sexual immorality, is, it, when he's talking about this, he's not merely talking about you know, perversion or devia- deviancy or anything else. He's talking about the fact that the enemy keeps insisting through every generation that the only way you truly are happy is if you're sexually satisfied so that we'll begin to believe the lie that sex is God. But really what we're believing is that somehow pleasure is God, or somehow we begin to believe that this hunger inside us, whether it's a hunger for food or it's a hunger for sexual satisfaction or it's a hunger for inhibition or whatever it is, that somehow if I satisfy this, no matter how I satisfy it, I'll be fulfilled. And what Paul is saying here is if you're belief, if your default setting is fulfillment is achieved and satisfaction is achieved by your own personal gain outside of the will of God, you will never be happy. But it is always a temptation because normally advance in the spiritual realm is what you say no to and what you're willing to give up. Anything, Jesus said, you lose for my sake. Whatever you give up in this life for my sake will be returned to you up to a hundredfold. But it becomes incredibly tempting when something makes you happy or something makes you alive, even if it's a counterfeit thing. I'm 56 years old. The first time I, I think I ever saw pornography, I had to be about 11 years old. What was that, 45 years, I think. I was riding my bicycle in the woods, and there was a naked picture of a naked woman. 45 years, I can still see it. I can still see it. I didn't just drive by that thing. I stopped, I went back, I examined it. Because my dad never talked about sex, and I'm like, well, i got to learn somewhere which is horrible. I'm just saying to you, most of us guys, we learn from other stupid guys who knew less than you know, anything, but who said like they knew everything. Or we learn from magazines, or we learned all kinds of stuff. And in 45 years, it's still stuck there. And you know what? It's not even a real person. And yet, after a while, you, you begin to evaluate real purpose persons and real love and real things by these counterfeit things. And so when life gets tough, because any of you that are married, you know, I mean, sex is not even an easy thing in marriage. It's a dance that sometimes you completely trip over yourself about. And and it's about a person. It's not about a thing or a feeling or an it. It's about loving a person. and And all that offers is you don't even have to deal with person. It's just all about you. And so in some ways, when you begin to say, I'm going to live my life and get my fulfillment outside the bounds of God's will for my life, you're saying, I know what's best for me to make me happy. Guess where that lie is coming from? Because you, you are your worst enemy. You're the one who's made you the most unhappy. I mean, when push comes to shove, other people might have screwed up, but you've screwed up far more. And and it becomes an act of maturity to humble yourself and begin to say, I don't even know how to be happy. God, you created me. You designed me. I have a drive to be fulfilled and a drive to be satisfied. I'm going to trust that if I trust you, this is my commitment in my heart. It's not a behavioral commitment but a heart commitment. It's kind of like, I don't know if any of you play with your computer much, but I'm constantly having to fix Lisa's. And, uh, and so I have to go into her system setting all the time, and she's touched some buttons that she guaranteed me she never touched, but there's some button that she's touched, so now the keyboard doesn't work or the wireless doesn't work or whatever, and I have to go in and find how she switched the default setting and restore it. What do you think the Holy Spirit is doing to your hard drive right now? To your software? If you're going to have self-control, the default setting is going to have to be set on the will of God. Even if it is difficult, I'm going to have that default setting. So here's one of the issues then that comes up. And this is why I think Paul puts this there. He says, what happens is, That we begin to presume, not, not have faith, and many of us, our faith is actually presumption. We begin to presume that my own self willed anticipation of how God will meet my need, that He is now bound to that. And then He doesn't, because He's not bound to that. He's not bound to your expectation, He's not even bound to your interpretation. He's bound to what he has said. And it's interesting because God loves you unconditionally, but his promises are often conditional. For example, there, there are many times that people are asking, Lord, will you restore America to being a, a, a place of, uh, of, of Christian faith and morality and stuff like that? Well, there's a condition to that in Chronicles where he says, if my people... Who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. You see God the, God unconditionally loves us. but some of the things for your satisfaction and your fulfillment will only come when you meet the conditions that he has said. He says, if you abide in me, and see, abiding is that relationship place. It's that friendship. It's that trust. It's that default setting that says, here's where I remain. Not with my idols, not with my own anticipated self determination, my presumption, but here's where I remain is that Christ is my life. If I, abide in him and his words abide in me. Because I can say to you all day and say, I I live for Christ, Christ lives in me, I I have experienced the Christ life, I can say all that, but then my my reactions, my responses to circumstances actually reveal the, the default settings of my heart. But what I have decided is that when those things manifest that are not that are not flowing out of the life of Christ in me, I don't run away from them. I don't run away from them. I don't deny them. And you, know, you guys don't know this, but you all exist in this church for my benefit. Because without community, without relationships, you don't know where the weak spots are. It's in relationship. It's when people are impatient with me that I see my impatience. It's when people expect what I can't give them and they're disappointed with me. I see my own false expectations. It's when you're prideful, I see very clearly my pride. You are more than anything else. You're a mirror to my soul. And I a mirror to your soul. That's why we're in community. It's because it's very hard to truly be self-righteous in a community of people that are honest. You know, faithful, the Scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you're intentionally hurting your friends. It means you're so honest with your friends that you won't let them continue in that which is killing them. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Well... The last one of these is grumbling. And what grumbling is, is very simply this. It says, my default setting says, I'm the authority. I'm the authority. I tell God how the world should be. I tell him what race I'm willing to run. I tell him the results I'm willing to have. God. God has been dealing with an area in my life because I've said, I want all the capacity in my heart that I can have to be filled with your spirit. And what that means is he has exposed those places where there's not capacity. And in the last two months, he has, he has nailed me in three areas. The first is, it's real simple stuff, but the first is he gets to say no to any prayer I pray. If my God is not big enough to say, no, he's not God. Now, I like hearing him say yes, but see, I know his yes is significant because he can say no. If he can't say no, then his yes means nothing. And so my God can say no, but I'll say to you this, when he says no, it's often things that I want. And when that shows up, I, I begin to realize, oh, I have idolatry about this thing I want. Or it's kind of a, it's an impure desire that's in the way of the real desire. And when I begin to grumble about it, then I realize I'm challenging his authority. He gets to say no. The second thing is this, and please, this is so important because I don't think God took me through this alone. I think this is, is for you. There are times... There are times when when everything goes the way you want it to go. There are seasons in your life, there are times when every prayer is answered yes. And, And God is good when that's happening. But then there are seasons where everything is not going the way you want it to go. Those are the moments of test. Do I really trust him or will I grumble? Will I challenge his authority or will I submit to his authority? The picture in the Bible of this, those of you who love the Bible, the picture in the Bible is Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to preach repentance. He didn't want the Ninevites saved. And then he gets out under the sun, and God in his goodness, God grows a, a, what's called a gourd there, but it's, a shade, it's like a shade tree for him, or a, a thing that provides shade. And and Jonah's just grumbling; he's mad, but he's in the shade. So then God takes the shade away. Now he grumbles and really grumbles and mad because now the shade's gone. And so, in some ways, what I, what I've seen is the God who gives you shade is also the God who takes the shade away. And then the question is, how do I respond when the shade's not there? Will I say, "Blessed be the name of the Lord"? Or will I say, curse God and die? And, and see, that's how your self-control begins to be developed. Is because you say, I'm still saying curse God and die because I don't have shade. Because it's not easy. Because it's not going the way I want it to go. And the last one is this. Because, and the very last thing here, is when I'm grumbling, I'm saying, I know what results should be happening. I know how this should take place. I know when it should take place. And what happens is I begin to exchange self-pity and ingratitude for the blessing of the escape that I've had from bondage. Because the the background of these four is basically the escape from Egypt leading to the Promised Land. Does this make sense to you? I I just found this so powerful as the Lord unpacked this with me because I began to realize my my heart is what matters. The disordered loves of my heart keep me from the fullness of the love of God and the satisfaction of the, his purposes in my life. Frank, would you come and lead us?